welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning again. It is great to see you this morning. Um, I'm Father Morgan Reed, and I am the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Thank you for your patience this morning as we uh, don't have AV and for just um, settling into worship. Uh, even when, you know, some of these pieces that are supposed to make life easier actually can distract. Um, it is a joy to be here with you this morning, uh, worshiping the Lord. Let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Lord, Stephen, hearing that passage this morning about Mary and Martha, um, there are so many things that felt like a Martha morning, and so I pray that you would settle, help, help us settle into um, what is the good portion, the good thing to do. Help us to listen to you this morning, Lord, to hear from you. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in us the fire of your love. Direct and rule our hearts in all things. Empower us for witness and ministry and daily increase in us your gifts and fruit to the glory of God the Father. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, it was about eight months ago, uh, I had some friends of mine who moved into the area and uh, their backyard needed a lot of work. And because they loved to grow things uh, and came, in fact, with plants, they had a lot of seedlings that needed to stay healthy through what would be the winter months of Virginia, uh, because the winter months would kill all of their little seedlings if they were left exposed to the elements. And so once... The weather got warmer. They, they kept those seedlings inside. Once the weather got warmer, as we got into spring, uh, they began to make space in the backyard for a greenhouse. Uh, the first step they had to do was to create a level space for the greenhouse uh, to sit on. And so what they did is on their sloping backyard, they carved out a flat surface and uh, And that itself was a process of lots of stops and starts. They then created some holes in that flat surface to fill with concrete so that the greenhouse could sit on a level surface, even if that soil were to move or shift. And after all that legwork was done, a lot of legwork, it was time to put the greenhouse on those concrete pillars and on the ground. And all of that work was all-consuming and exhausting, and it was all preparatory for those plants to be moved into a safe place where they could thrive and grow and have the opportunity uh, to become fully mature plants. And it amazes me how much work it takes, not just to grow plants, but to ensure that they actually, as seedlings, are given a fair shot at full maturity. Um, And so as we think about this passage this morning... As we think about growth in the Christian life, growth and maturity, we are reminded in Colossians 1 that our efforts are well spent 
Um, when we create capacity for other Christians to grow in maturity, our efforts are well spent when we're the ones creating and working hard at creating capacity for other Christians to grow into full maturity. So we are in this sermon series on Colossians. If you missed last week, I began the book, gave a little background, and we uh, talked about verses 1 through 14. This morning, we're in the end of chapter 1 of Colossians. And what this chapter is about is helping this little, young, budding church in Colossae grow into full maturity. Um, This is really St. Paul's main concern. And it's the thing that he is spending all of his effort and energy on. And this week in Colossians 1, what we're going to talk about is Christian maturity. Um, A major mark, if you can think of Christian maturity, one of the major marks of Christian maturity then is that our labors and our efforts are spent on the maturity of others. So if we don't have a care for the maturity of others in the church... Um, it's a good indication that there's some maturing that needs to be done. And verse 21, what it does, he starts with a glimpse of our lives before Christ. What were we like? It says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. Um, in our separation from God, we had created narratives about how the world is, the reality of things around us, what our identity is, uh, how we use our bodies, and what the good life is amongst other narratives we create. And then we acted out of those narratives. And what it says then is our deeds were evil. And I don't think what he's saying is that everything you did was as bad as it could have been. Um, but because we're, you know, we're made in God's image. And so even in our brokenness, we still reflect the image of God. But what, what he's saying is that the good that we do doesn't take away that enmity with God that we actually created. So if last week I talked about an upward spiral, this one's a downward spiral. Last week the spiral was coming to know the Lord, leading to virtuous deeds, which then help us to know the Lord better. This upward spiral. This week, he starts with a downward spiral before Christ. Uh, You were alienated and therefore hostile in mind and that came out in evil deeds and there's this downward spiral that we all need rescue from so um, so before Christ the works that we had done reinforced that alienation from God and those narratives that we were creating about ourselves about God and about the way the world is around us alienation from God what it does that results in Confusion and confused narratives and mythologies about the goal of life, about the role of the body, about the nature of wealth, about the value of happiness, um, and, and other things that those who are alienated from God then will enshrine as normal um, and even call them virtuous. And they're not aware of it. And so it's what St. Paul is saying is that it's into those lives these lives of confusion, that God reaches down through the words that his people speak. And what he does then is he creates the opportunity uh, for new creation in what had been destroyed, for healing in those places that were broken, and for rebuilding in those places that had been left in disarray by the fall. And so it happened, as St. Paul says, that it... This reconciliation happened 
in the flesh of Jesus by his death. Reconciliation with God came through a crucified man, who is God is the only one who's actually qualified to bring our reconciliation. Jesus took on flesh, and that's really important. Uh, he's, he is embodied in the incarnation. He died in flesh. He didn't die outside the flesh. He, he rose in flesh. He remains God in flesh even now and glorified. So our human bodies are redeemable. Uh, and salvation happens in the embodied space that we live. It happens in our bodies. It doesn't happen outside of our bodies, which is something the Colossians were struggling with. And I think people today still struggle with. And while reconciliation with God, even though reconciliation with God happens in an instant, in one sense, living out that salvation, that rescue, really takes a lifetime. And, and I was thinking back to um, my experience in different corners of evangelicalism where the, the liturgy, which is what they wouldn't have called it, is built around a one-time conversion experience and getting to make... Uh, getting people to make a one-time decision for Jesus. Um, in other words, it's a mental assent to particular truth claims about who Jesus is. And they might have a band play in the background. They might have a really compelling speaker who invites everybody to close their eyes and to raise a hand. Uh, and, and you know, someone will come down the aisle and pray with you and get your information for later to follow up. Uh, hopefully there's follow-up. And, um, you know, in, in those moments, I mean, I had some of those powerful moments growing up, but in those moments, uh, God can use those to draw people closer to himself. But there's a difference between that kind of liturgy and what's happening in this passage. In this passage, delivering somebody out of that negative spiral that they've been in, of divine alienation requires way more than a momentary mental assent to the person and work of Jesus or some body of, of truth claims. The gospel, when we think of the good news about Jesus, it is all-encompassing. And the good news of Jesus, it, it has as its aim in this passage to present us before God holy and blameless and above reproach. And so if that's the gospel's aim, it has to be way more than a momentary experience. It requires continuing in the faith. It requires being stable, becoming stable, being steadfast, not shifting from the hope that's found in the gospel. And so in other words, it takes growth and it takes endurance. And that takes a long time. And that's okay. So part of our commitment to one another in the body of Christ is to help one another endure in the faith. We are in it for the long haul with one another, and that's a good thing. Because we're in this, it's sometimes a painful process to let the gospel shake us the same ways that it shook creation. When we think about Jesus dying on the cross and the earth being shaken, that the gospel does that same shaking within us. And so it's a long road that we're going to walk with one another. Um, as we walk with God's people, because we're reorienting ourselves to new narratives about God, about being a new creation people, um, and about what the world is like around us. 
That reorientation does not happen in, in a moment of time. It's a long time. So as we press on in following Christ, Christian maturity is evidenced uh, by our desire to present one another in holiness and blamelessness and above reproach before God. I want that for you. Do you want that for each person here? Like this is what he's talking about is a mark of maturity. And so this might sound strange, but a second one, another mark of maturity is the ability to suffer on behalf of another person. Um, And I would add, suffer for the right things. And I'll get into that in just a second. One way to think about this is is a very human analogy uh, of parenting. And I was thinking this week about fatherhood and how dads are often portrayed in the media, uh, in popular commercials and shows. Um, Men are oftentimes portrayed as fun-loving, which is great, but also reckless Um, sometimes selfish and often immature. And I remember watching the show where there was a a man in the show who had scheduled a guy's night and it it conflicted with a school event that he had told his child that he would be at. And so the wife was arguing with him about how he always puts his comfort and his needs above his family and his children. And, And I remember that in the context of that argument, In the show, this gentleman said, well, you know, I'm a guy, right? I'm a guy, and I have to have my guy time. He might have even said bro, I don't know. But the the point is, is that that in the the portrayal, that might be in, in the show, it could be considered like normal or even virtuous in the show. And and so I was thinking, I actually just want to mention as an aside that I'm really grateful for the dads that we have in this church. Um, I'm impressed by the ways that you all care for your children's formation. It is really countercultural and and really encouraging. Um, And the ways that you love your wives, like that is a really, it's a gift and a blessing to have a church with with dads like that. And um, so, you know what, like no one is perfect, and I get that, but I think... For the dads here, you all have something really to offer to one another as you do uh, life with your family and as you do life together in the church. And I think that is going to be a gift, too, as new people come in and are trying to navigate that space in this world. You have a lot to offer other people. And so I I think rather than um, thinking that in that show, rather than thinking that dad was doing something that he was entitled to, We should just call a spade a spade. He was immature, right? And the reason why he was immature is that he couldn't rightly discern the importance of sacrificing for the most important relationships that were in his care. And so it's a mark of maturity to know how to suffer and how to sacrifice for the right things and the right relationships. If you suffer for the wrong things, that can be a mark of immaturity. But to suffer for the right things, to sacrifice for the right things, is a mark of maturity. He gives us an example, uh, St. Paul does, in this passage. In verse 24, he says, I'm suffering, uh, he says he's suffering on behalf of these Colossian believers. Again, he's writing from prison somewhere. And then he says this really interesting phrase in verse 24. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake 
of his body, the church. And then he says that it's the church to which he was called to be a minister. So in St. Paul's thinking, he's a minister of two things. He's a minister and a servant of the gospel, and he's a minister and servant of the church. And those two things guided how he viewed suffering, how he viewed growth of other people. And it says that he's filling up with lacking in Christ's afflictions, which does not mean that he's somehow adding to what Jesus did on Mount Calvary. Instead, what he's saying is that he's implementing the principles that you find in what Jesus did on Calvary. Um, And in, in many ways, he is part of the church's identifying corporately with the suffering of our Lord Jesus. And perhaps in being imprisoned, I almost wonder as well, and other, other commentators and even ancient writers have uh, wondered about this, that by St. Paul being imprisoned, there's this question, is, is he drawing um, fire away from this little budding church, this young Colossian church? By being imprisoned, is he taking the negative focus that would have been on this church to draw it on himself? Um, saving the church from a more rigorous type of suffering since they're so young. Um, He does that because he knows the gospel is going to go forth even when he's in prison. And this is why he can say, I'm suffering on your behalf. Um, And he knows that he's mature enough to handle that kind of suffering in the ways the church might not be yet. And so back to our greenhouse analogy, if you think of what Paul's efforts and, and suffering are going into it's this hard work of making sure this young tender church has what they need to flourish and so he's taking on some suffering for them but I think in our context in America the 21st century we've got to be really careful with that label of suffering I think it can be misapplied and I think sometimes use the word, people use the word suffering or persecution when what they really mean is I have lost some entitlements. Um, And so we need to be careful throwing around the word suffering. But it might come to that for us. And I think that instead what we might talk about is uh, the words Jesus uses, which are um, dying to ourselves. Dying to ourselves. Uh, That's a mark of maturity. So when you think of Jesus, even in the flesh, in his resurrected flesh, the thing that identified him as Jesus were those nail marks in his hands, even as the glorified risen Christ. And so dying to, dying to ourselves, even suffering for the good of others, needs to be the mark of what the church looks like. You can identify the church by her ability to suffer for the good and the well-being of others. That should be our mark of identification. Um, and it is the mark of maturity to discern the right things to suffer for. Sometimes that might mean uh, giving somebody a ride when it's inconvenient to the doctor or to church or somewhere else. It, it, when we eventually move into a new space, it, it might mean getting up a little bit earlier and being willing to help set up the church so that other people can encounter life with Jesus in community. It might mean uh, for some people that there is something keeping you from loving people well, and so you make the sacrifice of time and money to go get counseling, to deal with that thing that is keeping you from loving people around you more fully. Uh, Sometimes it can mean paying for somebody else to go through the counseling they realize that they have needed uh, to flourish. It might mean 
being graciously honest with somebody, even when we know that's going to draw conflict, but to not be conflict avoidant and let it go to the side. Um, but at the, at our, it, it's based, what it means is that we are considering the needs of other people. How much time, how much attention do we give to what other people need in their growth with Christ and, and their rela- relationship with Jesus? It's about our prioritizing other people in our lives. And so part of growing in maturity in Christ is learning to suffer for and die to the right things for the good of others. Finally, in our passage this morning, the third thing that we're going to talk about with Christian maturity is that it involves straightening out uh, confused thinking. Straightening out confused thinking or muddled minds. Um, What he says in verse 28 and 29, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So part of being a servant of the gospel and of the church Like St. Paul is having this deep commitment to the growth of other people in the church. Um, I like the way one author says it. I'm just going to read this quote from, from him. He says, It is possible to be in Christ and to be immature, not understanding fully what it means, not grasping the new possibilities and responsibilities set before us. The road to maturity is through teaching and instruction. What you need for that is teachers with boundless energy. And what you need for that is the life-giving power of the king himself working within Paul then and Christian teachers ever since. Great demands are going to be made on them, but the energy which Jesus inspires within them is always more than equal to the task. And so when I think about our church as we have developed, you know, we're about a year in the meeting weekly. Um, And so there's been a lot of development since we first started virtually, uh, you know, as a virtual once a month church to where we're at now. And in our church, we have set up several avenues to help people receive teaching and instruction to grow in Christ, to build those relationships where people are caring for one another. So thinking about um, the older children here, we have Catechesis of the Good Shepherd that we've been developing, and I've been grateful for the ways that people have been stepping into thinking about how do we teach this well? How do we disciple children? And then our, our nursery is available as well, where the little zero to two-year-olds are building their relationships, and it is sweet to watch them interact with one another and develop and then um, Father Ryan is developing really great programming for the older youth. We just had our first one last week where we got together at Burke Lake to hang out. And so forming relationships there. And, and as we develop that, he's going to be developing more teaching and instruction uh, for our youth. And so we have formation groups that meet outside of the church service where people are instructed in the scriptures, where we eat together, where there's a chance to just break bread have discussion, pray for one another, and build relationships. And I've been encouraged, too, recently, some of the moms are sort of organically uh, putting together playdates. And so, moms, if you are finding out, out about this for the first time, uh, connect with Ashley. Um, that's, that's for you as well. And I, I love that that's organically happening. 
We need one another in all stages of life, in all um, ages of life, young and old, single, married, with kids, without kids. The church needs to be a diverse community. And so, you know, keep thinking creatively and organically about how to gather with one another, how to form those relationships where we learn to care about the maturity and growth of one another. Um, If you start maybe meeting at a coffee shop together for a Bible study, like, I think that is wonderful. Do it. You don't need my permission. I would love to see that happen organically. Um, When we gather for worship, the liturgy itself is a tool for discipleship. And if I might be so bold, it's the foundational tool for discipleship. Uh, Because in the liturgy, we experience in our bodies this refiguration of the salvation of God as we encounter the divine word in word and in sacrament together in community. And so the instruction that we receive in discipleship relationships are a chance to clear up confused thinking, spiritually muddled minds. All of us are in process, right? And we are journeying together. So as we look for a new space, continue to pray that that facility um, makes that kind of discipleship possible and creates new avenues for Christian maturity and discipleship. So everyone in the church is important. I want you to hear that. Everyone in the church is important to God. And as we grow in maturity... Their growth needs to be important to us. And so all are welcome, and all are welcome to journey together in the church. And as we journey together, all of us are called to work and to toil hard um, for one another's maturity in Christ. A deep care for maturity of others is a mark of Christian maturity in this passage. Uh, um, The maturity involves refashioning those who are caught in that downward spiral that we talked about of sinful thoughts and patterns. It involves enduring right suffering on behalf of others and on the good, for the good of others. And it involves straightening out the confusion of a confused mind, of a muddled mind. Let's pray together. Lord God, Grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.